there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of care that needs to be taken in healing this country, in healing people's lives. Hi, I'm Eric Ostro, host of Live at the Lortel. For season two, while theaters are still closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we are turning our focus to discuss the reckoning the theater community is facing for its history of systemic racism. We also wanted to give theater artists a platform to share their thoughts on the political and social changes in our country and how they envision the future of the American theater. I will be sharing my hosting duties with members of the BIPOC community to provide our audience with different perspectives and new ideas. It is our sincere hope these conversations will help us all learn from one another and begin the healing process. I'm very excited for our guests this evening, and I'm really excited that you are all here to join in the festivities and this incredible interview, I hope. I want to bring on my great friend and co-host for the evening, John Andrew Morrison. John? Hello, Eric, and hello, everyone. I'm well aware that none of you want to see me. <laughs> none of you want to see either of us. People are so excited to see the wonderful, the talented, the glorious, the luminous Miss Philippa Sue. Out Let's of- bring her on. Tony nominated Philippa yeah. Sue. Hey, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're so happy you're here. I think about a month ago, about six weeks ago, you had a scheduling issue with something and the amount of direct messages I got, you know, what are you doing? Where are you? What's going on? Is everything okay? So you have an incredible fan base. Hi, Philippa's fan base. I'm so glad that you're all here. So. Yeah, hi guys. Thanks for coming. So how are you? How have you been? I know we were actually talking a little bit about you got yourself a pandemic puppy who's a yeah. year old now yes. in May on your birthday. But how have you and your husband, Stephen, been since we had shut down? Well, it's been a huge learning experience. I feel like time has somehow become this weird thing that doesn't exist and also has stretched to like the longest year in the entire world. And then there are some things like you just mentioned this dog that we got. It feels like we just got her yesterday, but she's already more than a year old and we've spent hours and hours training her and sort of like <laughs> use her like as a benchmark for our progress just to see like wow like you really couldn't do a lot as a puppy and now like all of a sudden she's behaving and she's got all these wonderful traits that we're discovering about her it's just such a beautiful animal and i'm so glad that we did it but everything feels like it's starting to come a little bit back to normal so it's hopeful and I'm optimistic but also at the same time I know there's like a long road ahead of all the things that we've learned this year socially culturally personally this is just the beginning what other things have you learned this year or how has the acting job transitioned for you during this digital I feel like all of us have become like content creators and engineers <laughs> and all of that. So what are some of the things that you've learned and how has well, that morphed? I've learned that I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I'm not very good at creating my content. Only that I think like some people are really great at doing it with ease. But I think for me, like I, I maybe it's because I'm an overthinker. Maybe it's because I'm a Gemini. But I just feel like getting something out there takes like a hundred different decisions that I have to make, including like, you know, where should my ring light be? And does my hair look like behind the shoulder, in front of the shoulder? I'm so in my head about it. And it's also so strange because for what we do, we're in rooms, we're rehearsing, we're acting. We're never having to do this thing where we like see ourselves like I'm looking at myself right now doing this interview and that's like a thing that I've really learned to try and forget about like I'm just trying to like block myself out here and just focus on you guys but it's made me really grateful for just the sheer fact that my job is to go into a room and just be present with people and so this year especially I'll never ever take that for granted ever again for as much as there's long hours and long days i live for that and i'm so excited to get back to it it's so interesting you say now we're living in this digital era now we're always looking at our faces when we're doing interviews or constantly fixing myself or making sure that i'm not shiny everywhere the ego part has got to go away but <laughs> yeah i find it fascinating also i did a deep dive into your career this week and learned a lot about you and Disney 
obviously did, I think, the most incredible thing months ago was to put Hamilton up for the world to see. I'm so interested what it was like to sit and to watch it from the other side. Hmm. I mean, you created Hamilton. So let's just jump right into Hamilton and what that was like for you to kind of see it filmed and see yourself from the other side for the first time, right? Yeah, it was so moving. I mean, I cried watching it. I cried because I was so joyful and also because it was such a very strange time to have this piece of work that we had all worked really hard to create and we were sort of waiting for this launch. It was also, I think, the last thing that we were all holding on to as a cast that we knew was good. It was about to come out. So like we've had chances to get together again and Jasmine and Renee and I had sung together a couple of times since leaving the show. So this idea that like a reunion would always happen, especially once that film came out, we'd all get to see each other again. And it was really sad that we couldn't be in the same room together to celebrate that moment. However, I think in the context of the state of the world at that time, I couldn't have imagined a better time and place for it to come out in. And especially in a pandemic during a movement for social and racial justice, finding a common ground with my cast and coming together and saying like, what can we do from our homes together to come together and use this moment to find healing and invite other people into that conversation. So ultimately, I think we were just grateful that we could have a platform to be able to advocate for the things that we cared about and to talk about, I think, some really hard things that were happening in America at that moment. And to know that something like Hamilton that existed as a tool for people to go to and say, okay, I have a lot of hard questions I need to ask myself as an American. Where do I start? And I feel like Hamilton was that for a lot of people, especially for young people too, to just have a road, a door into the big question of like, what does it mean to be an American? So I felt really grateful that we could be a part of that conversation. You posted a video of this beautiful, sweet little Asian girl watching you in Hamilton. And then she turns and looks at her parents so excited and says, it's me, it's me. What did that moment mean to you? Talk about representation and that moment of being able to see that video of this child, see someone that looks like her. Mm -hmm. doing this amazing thing. Well, I did another amazing, very inclusive, diverse story that came out this past summer called Over the Moon. And one of my castmates, Kamiko Glenn, she said in one of our interviews, you have to see it to believe it. Someone once told her that. I guess I didn't really think about growing up. All of these people that I looked up to weren't really me like I didn't really look like them or identify with them a lot of like straight white male characters in these stories that I was exposed to growing up or white Disney princesses growing up and then you have something like Mulan that comes along or something like Jasmine that comes along and you're like oh these characters they're not quite like me but I'm willing to go there I'm willing to keep advocating for all of these new faces that I'm seeing because if the more new faces that I see the more likely it is that maybe someone like me is going to be there one day and so I think going back to Jenna and that sweet young little girl who was watching Hamilton and saying it's me that was just that sort of aha moment where all the work that you put into being an artist and telling stories and trying to reach people comes to fruition in a very small moment, which for me took years and years and years of like trying to figure out this career. Also that she could just have a very simple moment that was maybe the easiest thing in the world for her. That is what is so special to me that seeing herself was not a hard task for her. Right. We have a lot of questions from the audience. So audience, I just want to let you know, we probably have about 30, 40 questions for you. And I'm going to try to get to as many questions as we can get to. But on the coattails of what you just said, it says, hello, my name is Lexi. And my question is, how does it feel knowing how many lives you've saved and how many people you've inspired? I love you so much. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you for that question. It feels amazing. It feels amazing to know that this idea of 
collective experience can still exist in a world where we're sort of all in our separate bubbles. And I'm so honored that I get to be a part of someone's cultural upbringing, that there's a point of reference in the hard work that I've put into doing this job. And I'm just so glad that there's a community out there. And I want to encourage anyone who's listening right now, if you feel like you want to tell your story, to go for it because your most authentic self is really what is going to carry you the furthest. And it is hard work. You didn't just wake up one morning and there you were playing Eliza in Hamilton. I mean, you paid your dues. You went to Juilliard. You worked your way up. I would love to kind of hear a little bit about how you got from A to B and how Hamilton and Eliza came to you. And I would love to know through playing Eliza for all those years, did something change in you? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, yes, there was a lot of work involved. And I also feel like it was a beautiful combination of just this right place, right time magic that happened for me. I will forever acknowledge that and be so grateful that I happened to be in a show off Broadway and Natasha Pierre and the Great mm-hmm. Comet and Lynn and Tommy Kale happened to come see it and happens to be interested in having me come play Eliza and I happened to say yes I just feel like yes there was a lot of hard work that went into it but I did get to be a part of this great big thing at a very young age and I think in that moment I knew that I just wanted to be present as present as possible because there were things about that experience that I was not going to process until it was over Hmm. and now being out of it those little pennies continue to drop those moments where Jenna is watching it and she says, it's me. Those tiny moments continue to happen. So, I mean, I guess it's just a testament to what this career is all about, which is just constantly learning, constantly hitting refresh. You got, you're always on your toes. You kind of never know what's going to happen next. So I find it exciting and it's kind of scary, (laughs) but I love it. I would never do anything else. Did you guys know, did you feel it in your bones that it was going to be like that Hamilton was going to be as big as it was from rehearsals before you even opened at the public? Like, did you all have like an inkling about? Yes, totally. (laughs) I mean, I think just the sheer fact that we could sit in a room behind music stands, as we've done before, as you recall from last year, and listen to the music and tell a story just from there. And you could have done it just like that. Hmm. And it would have been amazing and incredible. And I think we were all aware, especially as the pieces started coming together, especially as all of the songs started coming in and Lynn was finishing the show as they were casting other cast members we started to nod our heads at one another and be like, oh, yeah, like this is okay. And of course, from my experience, I was like, okay, everybody's nodding at me and I'm nodding at them. And we're like, wow, this is really amazing. I have no idea what's going to happen. This is like very new for me. It was my first Broadway show. But I'm going to take that and I'm just going to like ride with it. And I'm going to like keep nodding my head because this is the path that we're on now, guys. There's no stopping to be like, but is it though? Like I was like, I'm along for the ride. I'm along for the ride. Your first Broadway show is Hamilton. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Getting back to Eliza, I'm sorry, because I'm fascinated by this woman. Yes. The long life she lived. There's so much written about so many of the characters in Hamilton, how much was there written about Eliza that you can kind of go in and get your hands dirty to find out about besides the orphanage? But was there a lot of information for you out there already? And how did Eliza, you playing her, how did it change you, if at all? There was not a lot of information out there. In fact, how lucky were we that Ron Chernow, who wrote the book Hamilton that the musical is based on, was there with us in the room and we could chat with him on any given day. And I sent him an email and we had a chat one day about Eliza and I had gone down what you do first, which is like, just go to your web browser and type in Eliza Hamilton and see what comes up. And I had trouble diving deeper than just the generic Wikipedia page. And so I tried to get a hold of Ron and I was like, so what can you tell me? Like, you're the expert. What do you know? He's like, you know, it's funny because there's a lot written about her. There's accounts of her, but there's not a lot personally that she Mm. put out in the world about herself. In fact, I think that's exactly what you see come through in the musical. That's exactly what you see. A microcosm of this is you go to Trinity Church and 
you know, Hamilton's burial place is like this very ornate, beautiful monument and hers just says Eliza next to him. So she spent her whole life getting his papers together, making sure that the world knew what his contribution was. And for herself, she really didn't want to be a part of the picture. And I think that's what the song Burn was about. How she was going to be in this world was not going to be the way that her husband was going to be in this world. She had her own way of doing it. And so for my character in developing that, I really felt like that was like a powerful moment where I was like, okay, like there's some digging that I have to do here. And it wasn't until the day that Lynn was like, oh, well, you know, the orphanage still exists. It's called Graham Wyndham. It's a social service organization that still works with kids and families in New York City. Steve, my husband, and I went to go visit the campus uptown, and we basically just said, hey, wow, there's a connection here. And I think that's the power of the art that we can make is that your storytelling can take you to places that you would have never gone in your life otherwise. So getting to see the living, breathing legacy of Eliza in Graham Wyndham was powerful because that was what she wanted to last. That was her legacy. And it did. And it does today. And I'm thrilled that we got to work with Graham Wyndham. We got to work with some of the young people there and do some theater making, some arts classes, some performing arts classes with them through a project called the Eliza Project that Mm -hmm. we started. And so it was just a really beautiful connection. And I think the biggest thing that I learned from Eliza is just the concept of taking your time. I think I'm a person who has trouble focusing on the present moment and getting caught up in, oh, what should I be doing? What should I have done? And again, Gemini. But she really taught me to be present and know that, yes, life is short, but life is long too. And you can make what you want of it. It was an honor to play her. I'd love to be able to put up on the website the Eliza Project initiative in partnership with the Graham Wyndham. We'll put that up so people can find out about it and donate and do what they need to do. But your work within it, uh, teaching, acting, dancing, and rap workshops, I mean, working with those children must have been incredible. Oh, yeah. It was great. They were so awesome and generous and I think we had a lot of fun there. And ultimately, I think connecting with each other through something like the arts is so powerful because you're all starting from level one. You're all sort of like, okay, we're here. And now we're going to do an improv scene. And that sort of levels the playing field there. And it's just really fun. I'm curious about just this amazing fandom of Hamilton and the film now. Talk to me about like how that feels to be in something like that and to be receiving that much love from something like that. How do you hold that? I don't know. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm so grateful and I want to embrace it for all that it is. But at the same time, it's really not ours anymore. I mean, when we were doing it at the theater, there was an ownership of it, which is like it can only happen in this space and with these people on this particular night. So it it feels like, oh, you have a lot more control or ownership over that present moment in that time. Now that it exists out there for anybody to watch it any time that they want, however many times they want, there's a sense of letting it fly a little bit, that it's not held here anymore, but it's now out there in the world and people can take it and run with it. And ultimately, the cast and I talked a lot about this, which is now that it's out there, like, I cannot wait to see what happens when the young people watching it now who are aspiring artists use that as their touchstone of what they first were exposed to and why they started creating art and doing what they did. To have that as your touchstone just feels so exciting. I can't wait to see the things that are going to be made because of that. As a Juilliard woman, you went to Juilliard. Can you talk a little bit about the training and how important the training is for you? I mean, I think for a lot of our listeners who are students and people either thinking about going to school or wanting to train, can you talk a little bit about how important that is or wasn't important, however you see it? Well, I'm really glad for me personally that I went to a training program. I think I needed it. I think my journey was a lot of becoming less of a perfectionist, less of a good student and becoming a little messier in my work, becoming a little bit more embracing of 
potential failure or what in my mind was failure. Maybe that's a bad thing. But ultimately, like the biggest thing I learned was that failure is a really good thing, especially as an actor. You learn so much, especially in a rehearsal process where it's all about just getting messy and failing and learning that it's so important to your craft to be able to embrace a moment that doesn't necessarily work and try and figure it out. I met some great people. I had such a great community right out of the gate. I came to New York when I was 18 years old and I had this like locked in community of actors, grads and current students, jazz musicians, people in other divisions. My music director or Matias, I worked with in Natasha Pierre and he and I work together on concerts now, but he was at Juilliard at the same time I was, but he was studying music. And so we never crossed paths there, but there's this just sort of like common ground that you have. And especially to have a community right out of the gate, it's just a level of comfort that you have being in such a big city that I was so grateful for. That being said, like, I think a training program is what you want it to be. There's no recipe for any single person. One path for one person is not going to be right for another person. So you really have to suss out what you want to do, whether that's just to hit the ground running and try and like break into the business right away or if you want to take some time to learn if you want to learn for 10 years before you actually try to make some art I mean there's really admirable things about all of it but it's mostly just about finding that for yourself and from Juliana she wants to know how did you know that this is what you wanted to do that's a good question I don't think I could do anything else (laughs) you know if I didn't do acting let's see what would I do <laughs> I don't know. Silence is definitely, yeah, of right? course. <laughs> I had to go for it. And then if it didn't work out, I would figure it out. I just feel like there's just something in you. I feel like yeah. all artists have this like little itching bug on the inside that's like, I got to do it. I got to make stuff and follow that. So I think we just have to acknowledge, Philippa, the <laughs> amount of questions you are getting and the amount of love. It's a ton. We have about 80 questions. Which yeah, are, so we, we can't get to them all, but... <laughs> Thank you for your questions, everybody. Thank you for your questions. If I can't answer them, I'm so sorry. But we want to say hi to Honey Bee Life, Brooke Marsland, Christina G, Violet Burger, Candy Potato. Candy Potato. Candy Potato, hello. Victoria Morris, Peyton A., Bao Gemily. Yeah. And if I'm messing up your names, I apologize, but we're so happy that you're here. There's a person um, named Philippa Soup, I guess. Philippa Soup. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. Clever. Clever. She's a fan. There's a lot of Pippa. People call you Pippa. Yeah, that's my nickname. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Hi, Philippa. This is from Madeline. What is your favorite thing to do between shows on a choose show day? Hmm. Ooh, I think it's changed now that I've gotten older. <laughs> Let me tell you. When well, I, I, I'd love to know what it was and, and what it would be now, you think. Okay, well, when I was in Natasha Pierre, off-Broadway, but we were on 45th Street. Yeah. In a tent. In, yes. In an empty I lot. There. Yeah. I saw it. Uh, oh, my God, did you? I did. <laughs> we didn't call it off-Broadway. We called it near-Broadway. We were, like, near-Broadway. In between shows, I would walk to an equinox and like go do like a workout in between shows (laughs) (laughs) and then I would get a salad and then I would sit in the park and then I would listen to some music and then I would walk back and I was so tired like (laughs) I bet you were there was a point where I was like what and especially after Hamilton we talk about training and acting school you will never learn because how wonderful and lucky was I to be in a couple of very long running shows, but you will never learn that skill in school because you only do like maybe 10 of a single show. So this idea of like stamina is a very hard thing to grasp, especially if you're at my age and my headspace. I was like, I'm just going to go for it every night. Don't stop. A body in motion stays in motion. And then it got to the point where I was like, wow, I really can't do that all the time. I need to like take care of myself. And so especially with a character like Eliza and Natasha, it's really heavy and emotionally taxing and your body doesn't know the difference. I mean, your brain does and your heart does. You're like, okay, I'm an actor. This is not real. But when your body is going through that emotional journey every day, it really takes a toll and you got to have those tools. You got to have that community to support you because it's not sustainable on its own. You have to find ways to 
like the saying goes, fill the well. So now I think my in-between show vibe would be to stay in my dressing room <laughs> and put on pajamas and order Thai food mm-hmm. and then take a nap. <laughs> There's not really that much time between shows. And you got to really, she goes on a journey. I mean, you're going from here to there within three hours. What is it? How do you bring that down at the end of the night what is it and were you taking it home with you at the beginning and then you kind of left it at the theater or it was a struggle I think like I really learned a lot about how to rejuvenate and take care of myself after the curtain goes down and it wasn't the same some days it was like oh I really need to just sit and do Netflix and chill and not worry about anything and then sometimes it was like you should exercise you should meditate you should really be proactive about your wellness And then other days it was like, let's just be with our friends today. Go with Steve to a park and we're going to meet up with our friends. And that's what's going to fill me up and get my mind right again to start the week all over again. And I think maybe the biggest thing I learned was that it's never going to be the same, that I was trying to look for this perfect formula. Again, Mm -hmm. perfect student, here I am, was looking for the perfect formula, perfect way to do this. And realizing constantly, always, always, always learning like, It's never one thing. You can never like have your list and check it off. You're always going to be trying to figure out what you need in that moment. Talk to me about letting go of perfect. You've talked now a couple times about being the perfect student Mm -hmm. and you're in the process almost of like letting that break down or free yourself of that. So like talk to me about letting go of perfect a little bit because there's something interesting, I think, for actors to be able to hear that and know that perfect is sometimes the enemy of self-care, of good. And perfect is maybe more of an idea than an actual attribute that I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of. Like it's like a state of being, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to problem solve working on a scene for a certain play and it's not working for some reason... And I have to figure out how to make it work. I do something and it works. And I'm like, oh, great. And then the next day, I'm holding on to that. And then it didn't work again. Because there's this idea of perfect, this idea of like holding on to the thing that I just did. Uh, mm -hmm. As opposed to coming in day by day and taking a fresh start. So to apply that just to my personal life, to my wellness and my health outside of doing a show out of rehearsals. I would come home and I would lie down and I'd take a bath and I would have a glass of whiskey and I would stay up until two talking to Steve and it felt so great. I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is exactly what I need. Coming to find that like, I can't do that the next day. I could try for two reasons. I could do the exact same thing, but what happened that day? Do I need that that day? Was it the same exact day that I just had where that's what I need to do that day? Or what if I need that? And for whatever reason, I have to get up early tomorrow. So I can't stay up till two. I have to like rehearse an audition that I have to do. So it's not realistic to go through this journey as an artist being like, Ooh, that worked. Going to hold on to that one because Mm -hmm. It's just never going to serve you to try and recreate something that you did for yourself, either in a scene or outside of a scene, for the sake of knowing that it was right and it worked. And that's what the good student does. I think that's what I mean. Does that make sense? That's brilliant. Yeah, wonderful. So Sydney James Harcourt, who's going to be on the show in a few weeks. Sydney! friend. He called me today and asked me to ask you a question. I hope that's okay. So by the way, our Hamilton people, Sydney James Harcourt is going to be on the show in a few weeks. He'd love for you to speak a little bit about the unique challenges actors of mixed races can face in the industry. And he teaches part-time too, and he gets that question asked a lot of him. Mm. I mean, that's an interesting conversation I've been having with myself this year this past couple of weeks. It's a very interesting place to be in because for me personally, as a half Chinese woman who is the daughter of second generation. So my dad was born here and his parents were born in China. My mother is white. She grew up in Southern Illinois and I've never quite felt like I belong in one place or another place. At the same time, though, I feel like I get to be in both places. Hmm. And there's this perspective that I think comes with that, 
that I feel very grateful for, that I get to understand culture and race from many different facets. I think that the more that we see diverse stories where we're not focusing on stereotypes and we're not focusing on these very hard archetypes of this person is that race, this person is that race, this person comes from here. And the more that we get intricate with these characters and more specific, I'm coming to find that I feel less out of place. It is hard because I think as someone who I identify as a person of color, I identify as an Asian woman, I've haven't had the opportunity to play a Chinese woman until playing Chang'e in this animated film that I got to do, which was really powerful. And it's an experience that I didn't get to have because just by looking at me, I think if they're casting a very specific role or a specific family, you know, they're like, well, she doesn't really look really Chinese. So I don't know, like, does she work in this? And maybe that's my own insecurity about the kind of conversations that people might be having based on how I look and how I fit. But at the same time, I know that like, we're all just coming from a very unique place. Even if you can look at someone and be like, oh, I can peg them right away. You don't really know. You don't really know where they're coming from and how they were raised and what stories they want to tell. So if anything, it's just reaffirms that there's always more. There's always more to learn about people. There's always deeper that you can go. There's always more listening that can happen, no matter what you think you might know about a person or a group of people. There's always room to listen and grow. And I think we have to do more of that now as a country anyway. I mean, what's going on now with what's going on in the world? I mean, it's a new thing every week. Well, the anti-Asian hate is really scary. And you could almost sense and feel it from the rhetoric that was coming out from the last administration that this was going to end up terribly. And so I don't even know that I have a question other than (laughs) to acknowledge that it's happening. And how are you with that? How are you feeling in this climate of this horrible rhetoric. I think it's great that people are coming together and going, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But it must be... doesn't take away the fear, though. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying and it's devastating and it's everything that we've been experiencing this year, which is like we thought we were in one place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or some of us knew that we weren't there yet, but the rest of us have now caught on. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of care that needs to be taken in healing this country, in healing people's lives. I mean, I'm proud of the Asian community really feeling like they could come out and speak out and be proud and show up in the streets and demand justice. And, you know, I think culturally within the Asian community, it's not necessarily something that's historically done a lot Hmm. or has been done. Right. And what's been so beautiful about this time is that we're really like looking at everything the way everything works the way we talk about people and places and things under a very detailed microscope and for me personally I just know that there's no turning back after this we know the work that needs to be done we know the healing that has to happen And whatever your vocation is, whatever your life is, it should be a communal effort on all of our parts for us as artists, for anyone to make sure that we come up against that and take it on head on because we can't just keep saying, oh, gosh, Hmm. yeah, that's really sad, isn't it? Well, one day that'll be one day we'll deal with that. Like, no, we know what we need to do. We need to educate people. (laughs) We need to get out there and make our voices heard. We need to elect leaders that represent yes, us absolutely. we need to make sure that the ones we elect that are there we hold them accountable that mm-hmm. we ask for free and fair elections it really comes down to a system that worked for a really long time and worked for some people and not everyone and right. now it's time for it to work for all of us that takes a lot of work so Anyway, not to go on and on. You welcome it. This is why I asked the question. And I have a question from Mari Hodges. Mari, and I just wanted to say how thankful I am to you for leading the way for Asian Americans. Have you navigated choosing roles and finding roles in the industry when there are so few? I know you answered that before with the animated film that you did, but what about other roles? What's beautiful about my experience in this industry is I've seen like a very deep 
shift happen where we start to get more specific about casting and characters and especially with something like Hamilton where the casting is so much a part of the artistic expression that it needs to be something that's way more diligently thought about. And so I've found that I've gotten to be in some really collaborative rooms where there's a character, it's not necessarily written as an Asian woman, but she's become an Asian woman because I'm an Asian woman. Mm -hmm. Or characters who are written specifically, like Chang'e in Over the Moon, she's a Chinese goddess. And so getting to play that has been such a beautiful experience. And I just think that it's happening. Like I really feel hopeful. There's of course a lot of work to be done, but it started. The train is leaving the station. Like it's ready. We're going to keep making stuff. We're going to keep putting people of color in front of the camera, behind the camera, on stage, off stage, producing everywhere, because these diverse stories are ultimately what's going to help us become more empathetic people as creators in doing it, but also as consumers, this is something that we need to work on, this collective empathy and storytelling and watching stories and reading stories and listening to stories is one way to exercise that. It's like brushing your teeth. You can't just watch a story about a diverse family once and say, oh, cool, did my empathy work today? Like, you gotta keep keep doing it, which is why we have to keep making it, advocating for it. There have to be so many different stories and there's so many to tell. Yeah. Go ahead, John. I was so delighted in watching the get out the vote content that you and your <laughs> husband put out last year. It was absolutely great. And like those harmonies were tight. Okay. So like, <laughs> talk to me about using your platform in that way and like being so creative in your political causes and your activism because they were delightful and I'm sure a lot of people went out and voted the amount of fans that you have wanting to ask questions I'm sure that influenced someone's oh my god I hope so I mean (laughs) I guess ultimately my goal was to get people excited about democracy about being a citizen about participating in your community that there is this idea for me growing up and when I was becoming a young adult, like I didn't know enough. I wasn't equipped enough to participate. Why should I make my opinion heard? Why should I be out there doing stuff when I don't know? I don't know all the issues. I don't know all the candidates. And I really just wanted to demystify and be like, look, even the smartest people are confused about how this political system works. So if you're confused and you're asking questions, good job. It was in some ways made to be very confusing so that it would deter people from voting or the lines were made to be very long so people didn't want to stand in them. Any feelings that you're having that are like, ooh, I don't know about that, it's okay. And like asking questions is okay. And having fun with it is also okay. And so for Steve and I, we were really just wanting to get people excited and know that something as simple as voting and making your voice heard can be like fun and cool and awesome. And like the cool thing to be doing, you know what I mean? (laughs) Which it is, which it is. It is. I mean, it is now, especially for all the young artists now that are really lighting a fire under people saying, listen, this is what you need to do and it's okay that you don't know this it's all right but yeah that's why the internet's amazing and you're also outspoken i think about when it comes to the actors rights and speaking up for artists i admire that so much as well and the artists rights with equity and all that's involved with that in terms of artists getting rights to musicals or shows that actors are a part of mm-hmm. maybe getting a piece of it with SAG and AFTRA now they're kind of working on it with equity and I know you've had some choice words and things to say about it as many of my artist friends have but I would love to get your point of view about it yes well I was really lucky to be among some amazing artists who had been doing this for a really long time, who really understood the way that the system works. Because when you're developing a show, there's this really difficult conversation that has to happen about quantifying an actor's contribution, which would merit them participating in some sort of piece of a profit of a show that becomes really successful. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what the union is there for, to have these conversations about things that we want to see happening in this industry that might not be happening for us, Mm -hmm. and really figure out a way to make it work for 
everyone. Mm -hmm. Because within this capitalist model, there is a sustainability that also needs to be taken into account that for an actor to be a part of something that's really, 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 really successful in the event that it even happens, Mm. right? Participating in some sort of profit from a windfall would create the difference between being able to pay your rent one month and not pay your rent one month, especially if you're an artist who works on Broadway and off Broadway in really small houses making maybe $200 a week doing a play. So there's like a level of balance that you're trying to strike as an actor so that beautiful, meaningful work that you want to do that you think is going to contribute to this culture can happen without you thinking, God, but I can't pay my rent. So Mm. I can't make that. I think ultimately my argument for including actors in some sort of participation is that it just advocates for better work to be done. That when you're not worrying about, oh gosh, like I got to go do this really, you know, well-paying TV gig and I'm not going to do that play downtown because I can't afford to. Yeah. Isn't a conversation that has to happen all the time, especially, gosh, especially at a time we haven't had theater for this whole entire year. And in a moment where the one thing we needed was to gather in a place together to heal and comfort each other, to see a story unfold before you about a group of people that aren't like you, this exercise of empathy that I'm talking about, without that, we're going to struggle. So the fact that like an actor who wants to make art to do that, to bring people together, to heal people, and they can't because they can't pay their rent and they got to do the job that pays them more. It just gives you a freedom to be able to create work that's risky and new and innovative. And the list goes on and on. But ultimately, I think it just promotes more interesting, new risk-taking work to happen at the end of the day. Right. And the work that you've done developing a character or a piece, the work that you've done in that rehearsal room, John and I have talked about this, that makes it part of the show and what ultimately is going to wind up in the script, etc. So yeah, there's different I, I ways. agree with you. Yeah. You know, it's such a gray area because there's different ways to mm-hmm. contribute as an right. actor. But I think as a whole, just a simple acknowledgement of we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Like, We're in the room, we're helping, we want to contribute to the best of our ability without thinking like, oh God, well, if I say something because I have a really good idea, I don't want to contribute that because that's not really my, you know, like, best idea wins. Like, let's play under those rules and see what kind of amazing art that we can make. And let's make sure that we acknowledge that there is value and worth in showing up and trying a text on. And even if it's to show the writer, the creators that that wasn't the right choice, that's still a a contribution in itself and should be acknowledged in some some way. And then then you get so many more champions for your work. Let the actors be also champions of your work as well. So good on you. I kind of have a silly question. What is something that like Philippa Sue hasn't done in this profession that she would like to do? Like, for example, I want to do an action movie so bad. Like, I don't know that. But like, what is that like one genre or that one thing that you're like, ooh, I would love to do up? Mm. Mm. (laughs) that's a really good question i'm so like yeah what's next Ooh, the universe is telling you something so like the idea that i'm like this is what i want to do i do think an action film would be really fun i think you'd be so great in an action movie (laughs) however having done some action sequences in a TV show that I did a couple of years ago, my brain was a little bit awoken to this idea of like nice shoots and cold weather, heavy guns, running around, falling a lot and being really out of breath for like hours. That's a huge learning curve for going from one to the other to a TV show. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Being an action star is a lot of physical work. I would have to get ready to do something. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take anything as it comes. I'm just so excited. I just want to do like Whatever is something that I had never have done before, I'm all for it. Doesn't matter what it is. Well, I have a question from a healthcare worker. Hi, Madeline. 
I'm Madeline, and I'm a singer and a nursing student. I was wondering if you had any advice, motivation for nursing students as we are stressed learning how to be a nurse while in the pandemic. Um, Thank you, Madeline, for what you're doing and what you're training. I wanted to get your question in, my darling. Truly. Thank you, Madeline. Well, ultimately, what I have found to be so, so useful during this time is being where I'm at and being really honest with myself about when I need help. I think that there's a level of honor in pushing through and just trying to like ride it out. But at the same time, there's something really powerful about the moment where you say like, wow, okay, I've done this. I've gone as far as I can by myself. You can pat yourself on the back. You can genuinely thank yourself, thank your body, your mind, your heart for all of the work that it did. And then you can reach out and ask for help. And that is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Ultimately, because whoever you're reaching out to will also benefit from that. I know that when people reach out to me when they need help, I feel so honored that they asked me for it. So when I'm in my brain and thinking, gosh, I can't ask for help because like, I don't want people to judge me and think that like, oh God, she doesn't know what she's doing. Hmm. I know that if I'm on the other side of it, I take it as such a compliment. So I've really learned how to ask for help in these really hard moments. And I am not a healthcare worker. I can't imagine how difficult that must be, especially at a moment right now. But just know that there's a community out there that is supporting you. We're all sending our thoughts to mm. healthcare workers collectively right now. If you can feel that brain power coming love, through, yeah. feel that love, it's there. And we really appreciate it. And respect you. You have some great things coming up. You have your Netflix animated Over the Moon. You can watch it right now if you want. It's streaming right now on Netflix, Over the Moon. I'm excited about Hulu's drama series, Dope Stick, which is based on the Beth Macy novel, Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And then you are working with some unknowns in Plan Z, Taylor Schilling, Audra McDonald. That's going to be a tough one, I've heard. That Um, title is now... Not that title. Oh, okay. Working title. Me. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you are working on something with uh, yes. So your I was husband and Audra yeah. and Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was working on a show during the pandemic with Steve. We were playing opposite each other. What's you that know? like? It was really fun. I mean, <laughs> we were just so grateful to be working and then to be getting to work on an amazing show written by the kings and getting to work with some great new york artists that we love and admire it was so really michelle wonderful. king yes the, um, the good wife and the good fight oh wow okay wonderful yeah and they're so great they love the theater they love new york and it was wonderful to be able to show up to work and work with my husband and we all sort of felt like we had this thing that we were trying to accomplish during a time that was really difficult and we did it completely COVID safely. Storytelling lends itself to that. So Steve and I, as we were quarantined together, living together, we were able to be in the same room and do scenes together, but really we were the only two actors that we got to see. And other than that, we didn't come in contact with anybody. Everything was remote. It was really well done and such a hard thing to accomplish and they did such a good job. I love the Kings. I would watch anything and read anything that they put out. I think they're incredible. Philip, what is your hope for our community and for artists and for all of us and your fans and everyone out there that when we come out of this, where we'll be? I hope that wherever we will be, it will be an honest place that we can be present with each other, that we can be responsible for each other, especially in the theater making world. I really, really think that what we want to see are more diverse stories and more diverse people. And the more that we can demand those things to happen, they will. And ultimately, I just can't wait to see people again and get into a room and look into each other's faces without my face next to it. (laughs) (laughs) And we had a mask on, right? Yeah, yeah. And just embrace everybody in real time. That's my hope for it too. This hour went by so, so quickly. (laughs) I I really want to ask you if you'll be able to come back maybe beginning of next season to see where you are because I have hundreds of questions here that we were, we didn't get. I mean, my two weeks of Philip Asu research is, uh, you know what, I'll call you when this is done. So I'm just, just asking. 
a hundred questions. On there were so many questions that I wanted to know, but we have people from all over the world, including Australia, Brazil, Canada, and England that are watching yeah. and listening to this. So incredible. I want to say thank you, Mari Hodges, Catherine Lee, Denise's Amy, Samara, Avery Lee, Anska, Desutter, Kayla, Madeline, Harper, Apple Lemon Cookies. Apple Lemon Cookies. Apple Lemon Cookies, yes. Megan Trowbridge, Mackenzie Gauthier, Daphne Lena, Desbrook Engeleke. I think I, if I mess up your name, my apologies, but I am trying. He's really Amy, Bristia, Lapinga, Christina G, Mackenzie. Take a breath. Yeah, I do need to breathe. Mackenzie Gauthier, Taylor Smith, and Cheyenne Jochim. Thank you all so much. That is our show for this evening. Our time went by so quickly. I really want to thank our magnificent, luminous, and gifted Philippa Sue for being our guest this evening. Thank you for Bam, that went quick. I know. I, I thank you so much. You were so honest and so lovely. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, my beautiful John Andrew <laughs> co-host with me tonight. Next Monday, John Andrew and I will be interviewing actor, playwright, and autobiographical performer Ryan Haddad. Oh, he's um, so lovely. Asking about Hi, Are You Single, Hysterical Show, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and everything in between. And then you on Monday, him, April. Really? Yeah, he's great. Ryan Haddad is great. Like, you should check him out. You would love him. I will. I will. And then on Monday, April 12th, join I will be talking with actor, writer, composer, director, playwright Douglas Lyons, along with all of his theater credits. I look forward to learning more about the Next Wave Initiative, a scholarship program dedicated to supporting the future of black theater artists. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you did, please like the video and subscribe. For news about upcoming guests, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I will see you next Monday at 7 o'clock. Please stay healthy, and thank yes. you for joining us. I want to just give one shout-out to the Graham Wyndham and Eliza's Living Legacy and all the work that Philippa and the Graham Wyndham Orphanage are doing and the work that you've done there. If you want to make a donation or during this time of the pandemic, people need volunteers. And if you're giving of yourself, I think Eliza really planted the seeds for some incredible things in this world. So look at you got to play her. So lucky. It was beautiful to watch. So thank you all so much. Have a wonderful evening. Please stay safe. Wear masks. <laughs> get a vaccination if you can. And we'll see you really soon. Philippa Sue, you're amazing. Thank you so Thanks, much. Guys. This podcast is brought to you by the Lucille Lortel Theater. Live at the Lortel is produced by George Forbes, executive producer, yours truly, associate producer, Jeffrey Schubart. Press is provided by Sin Gogolak, GoGo Public Relations. And our social media is managed by Mia Radia. Special thanks to Nancy Hurwitz, Alana Canty Samuel, and Maura Levines. Live at the Lortel is recorded online by Bryant Falk, Abacus Entertainment. While theaters are closed, we hope you will consider donating to the COVID-19 Emergency Relief Fund at actorsfund.org or your favorite theater company. Thank you so much for listening. 